0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of APIs Unplugged. My name is Matt McClarty. I'm the global field CTO for MuleSoft, and it's great to be here on what is, in fact, a very rainy November day here in Vancouver. I'm hoping that, Mr. Mike Amundsen, things are a little bit brighter for you.
1: Actually, they really are. It's a sunny, sunny day here in Kentucky, and we might get up to fifty Fahrenheit, which is kind of exciting. So I was out enjoying the sun just before we got started here today.
0: Okay, well, sorry, sorry to interrupt your uh, <laughs> vitamin D infusion there, but uh, no, it's 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 great to be here. I, I think uh, I, I mentioned this a couple episodes ago how we're we're having an end of year flurry here, so this is uh, yeah, and it's just really exciting to be talking with you and talking with uh, wonderful guests. and and that's certainly the case today um for our episode today we're going to be we're going to be touching on a, a on a topic that's been a bit of a recurring theme for us but I'm I'm really excited about this one I uh you know that that topic is systems thinking and uh what happened I think it was probably a month or two ago um I just in my inbox uh, uh I got a uh, you know, a request to look at a, a book proposal that was on systems thinking and, and software architecture. And honestly, I started reading this 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 outline. <laughs> I was like, "What's going on? This is when can I read this book? Like, where is it?" <laughs> I was going to Amazon. Like, hey, can I order the book? Uh, no, it it is in process. Uh, being written, but I'm extremely excited about that. But but by that process, um, I looked at at the the author's name and I did some let's look, web stalking. I'll, I'll I'll call it you Is know friend, we friend yeah, friendly right. web stalking. And <laughs> I'm like, wait, uh, Diana Montalian, where have you been all my life? Like looking at all this, stuff, <laughs> looking, looking at all the work around systems thinking and software architecture and 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 conference talks and. Just amazing, amazing thinking, amazing articulation of so many, so many things that I would encountered but hadn't quite articulated as well. So, Diana is the um, founder of Mentrix Group, and it's awesome to have you here on APIs Unplugged.
2: Well, thank you. my goodness! Can we we stop now because I feel like <laughs> this is what I want people to know about me, and nothing else matters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, honestly, the best it, intro ever. so
0: honestly. it was, it was like a mind meld. Like I, I think we were, you know, and we, I, I'm like connected on LinkedIn and I sent you a message and like, Hey, have you seen this? And you're like, Oh yeah, I've seen that. And you, you know, Hey, I remember you ever come across this book. Oh yeah. I, I always recommend that book. It was, I, I, it was a, I was a bit, uh, yeah, I was fanning out a bit there. So hopefully, hopefully you realize I'm not, not a threatening guy, just, uh, just no, a very excited I mean- fan.
2: It's it's I mean, of course, it's it's um, it's who doesn't love when someone loves your work. Right. Because you do it all alone in your pajamas and you don't think anyone's (laughs) ever going to listen to you and everything you say is wrong. And, you know, so to get to feedback loop matters. But also, I think we we had that um, mind meld because we have shared pain. Right, mm-hmm. like we we've been in similar <laughs> similar situations and and experienced some of what works and doesn't, and so when that happens, it's kind of easy to recommend recognize your kindred, right, your exactly. your yeah, fellow travelers, yeah, yeah,
0: completely. And so so I guess that's our aim today is to really sort of share that enlightenment that we've that we've shared. And I know I know it was interesting as well. Obviously, you you knew Mike and you you would uh, cross yeah. paths at events as well, so. Yeah, you know, we had
1: a very similar kind of experience. I can't remember. I think it was uh, New York three years ago, I think, or something like this, where Diane and I just started. I think, I think you walked up to me. We started talking, and again, I was we introducing were introducing you. I was oh, introducing
2: you. that's what you. it was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. that's right.
1: That's what it was. And already we were doing the same thing, sharing uh, books and sharing links and sharing all. It's a fantastic. It's it's a great experience when something like that happens. So I'm really excited about today. But we're kind of getting ahead yeah, of ourselves yeah. a little bit. Me, so, but let, I'm really excited.
0: Let me go back to the protocol here. So uh, whenever yes, we have a sorry. guest on our show, right, we always want to uh, we want to understand, you know, sort of the journey into, you know, into the space, into the software architecture space, into the global API community. So Diana, what what what's your background?
2: Well, um, so before, it's funny, I, when people ask me this question, I'm like, do I start with when I was an actor and a writer and <laughs> living a bohemian life yes, and didn't yes. care about technology? Yes. I right, go all the way back to there. Um, but as related to the work that we do, um, I um, I was a predominantly back-end engineer and I worked mostly in web properties, uh, information systems, but basically bringing them um, into the digital world and, and enterprise level work so that, which in the web is still kind of on the small side. Um, but I just really fell in love with um, with coding as a problem solving tool and also with information systems and the challenges that we were facing as sort of the modern digital era was happening. It was just amazing to be able to code and have direct impact like a week later and then keep, mm-hmm. keep mm-hmm. building things and people You use them and, and, and everything was changing and everything I knew one week, I, was, I needed to know more the next week. It was just such a, um, a wonderful time to be hungry to uh, learn and build things and, and develop more, more ways to build things. Um, but the downside or upside at the time it was right was that I also am, you know, contributed to the building of all the monoliths that now we, <laughs> uh, we, we, say that word and we don't just mean encapsulated software. We, we mean all kinds of other things too. Um, and so what, what, as we were building these, single instance software and scaling and scaling and scaling them, um, by adding more and more varnish basically is what we meant by, <laughs> by scaling. Um, the world around us was changing right now. Uh, so the economist, for example, since 1843, they were a print magazine and mm-hmm. then, um, and then a digital website for at some point they were one of the biggest Drupal instances on the web. So, um, really kind of pushing what we did uh, for content software. And then, say, eight or so years later, every article has over, say, 40 destinations, right? It's going to um, Facebook Instant Articles and Apple News, and um, now they have films, now they have more magazines. One of them is only digital in an app. And so what do we do, right? What do we... How do we change what do we need to change as the paradigm is changing around us so that's how yeah. I ended up basically thinking in systems in, in, instead <laughs> of strictly in software because I had to it was a do or die it was a do or die situation
1: well well that that was really um, the, the kind of the first question that came to my mind that I, that I wanted to talk to you about is you have been at, at various sort of Tent poles of this whole experience, you know, content level, content strategy, web, you know, delivery, implementation strategy, information architecture, the actual how do you design an information system that actually delivers what people expect, Uh, even thinking, then, you know, getting into complex systems that are connected to each other. At, At each of these steps along the way, I mean, were these just sort of logical next steps or were they epiphanies or were they catastrophes, you know, like sort of <laughs> falling down. I have to start again. How was that? You covered a lot of material, a lot of places. I mean, there's an, there's a industry for each <laughs> and you've been across them. What was that experience like Where that Was it, was it a, a, just a glide path or was there more to it?
2: Well, I boy, I really love this question. Um, they, they, Something I've thought about, but I don't know that I've ever articulated. And I think the right answer is I don't know. I got lucky; <laughs> like things just happen, right? Like so, yeah. I was um, so. For example, I owned an independent bookstore in Missoula, Montana, oh, which was wonderful wow. time, charity, <laughs> um, but a wonderful yeah. time. And um, so I was really having to convince people that technology was a thing they probably needed like it wasn't really it wasn't wasn't really an up-and-coming technology center um and so i I went to austin i moved to austin which was and i had a client call me and ask me about something um and said yeah well you know we're in dallas and and we have this this project and it's not really going well so we want to go to the the experts Um, And, and I'm on the other end of the phone, like, and you're talking to me, (laughs) how did that happen? Um, And, and, and yet, it was great. It was great. And um, they had a whole bunch, their challenge was they were, um, uh, they had, they were a nonprofit that had a lot of contacts and all of their data was Mm. separated into a bunch of different pieces of software And so integrating and sort of designing how that would work. And I was so ignorant. I didn't know that that was supposedly a hard thing to do. I was just trying to... (laughs) to do what was in front of me Um, and then that led to to, um, later I was at a a client had a little gathering and um, the husband of one of my colleagues was having a conversation with me and as it turns out the problem that I had just solved was connected to problems that they were solving and that they couldn't really find anyone that was solving those problems which I didn't know because I just was in my own little bubble world. And so my whole career has kind of been like that, where I work on um, I work on being adventurous enough, mixed with conservative enough, to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. And you say no a lot more yeah. often than yes, right? Because um, yeah. Yeah. that discernment. And then um, I just didn't know any better. So I kept throwing myself into these situations that were terrifying and kind of overwhelming. (laughs) And then we do it. And of course it was because I always had great, smart, brilliant, good people around me. Right. So, Mm. you know, none of this I do alone. And it's just, just, I just generally was able to partner with people who were um, who were instrumental to making it all come together. And, and then it, it, over say 15 or more years it just sort of has so I think it's not knowing how much can go wrong is a good thing sometimes
1: (laughs) yeah 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 yeah.
0: it's true it's like the the the, the, what's the you know I wish I didn't know now what I knew then or what I didn't (laughs) know then sorry what I didn't know then that's the line that's the line that kind of a you know the the power of uh of of innocence or naivety of youth kind of a thing. But yeah, but you know, I feel almost like there's a, there's an analogy there too, with, uh, with how even companies are finding their way in the digital space where they sort of can sort of accidentally enter these different areas and and succeed as, as a pattern more than this very structured intentional approach, which can sometimes lead to, to big investment and failure. But we'll leave that for now. I wanted to, and and we could probably do a whole episode on like lessons you learned along the way from acting and writing and and bookstore ownership and how you apply that. But for now, you know, you talked about this shift that you made, you're working with the economist um, on what was more of a a traditional web property, turning it into a multi-channel, multimedia, you know, through the social network explosion. I think it was there, as you said, you couldn't avoid looking at, systems and across systems. And I think here is where you kind of shifted out of the web uh, development world more into the software architecture world. And I think it's great, again, that you kind of went headlong into it or doing conference talks, sharing your experiences. I'm just curious, you know, coming out of the the web development world where, you know, maybe you were you know doing just, as you said, doing stuff on the fly, getting just getting what's done, what's in front of you done. Like entering that software architecture world, um, because I feel like you might call it software architecture, systems architecture, enterprise architecture, whatever we're calling it. It seems like it, it kind of, uh, it had a it dimmed out a little bit there, and then now is like a super important role. But, but what was your take entering the software architecture community? Like, because you got into it to, to solve some specific problems. But, you know, how did you see that discipline of software architecture when you first got into it?
2: So this is it's a it's a little bit of a blended um, question, because in retrospect, I'd been doing a lot of it all along. Right. In some Mm -hmm. way, I do what Mm -hmm. I do because it suits me. And I always played roles that provided more of an integrative leadership, like, you know, how do you synthesize? Um, what we know and what we can know into the best possible solution in this circumstance. Right. So kind of didn't matter what, what, what circumstance I was in, I tended to be a synthesizer and integrator. Um, So that, that to some extent I've gone in the direction I've gone because it suits me to do so. Um, But two, I think your, your, your question it there's um there's a sort of gap once as complexity increases Mm -hmm. there's there's we reach the sort of end of our traditional approaches the way that we (laughs) think and do things the way we try and control um behavior and projects and processes Mm -hmm. and that gap to me is all about relationships really right relationships between technology parts relationships, the, the way you structure relationships, but it's also relationships between people and how you create learning teams and all the ways that we create the systems of support for doing difficult things, for thinking about something you don't know how to do with pe- other people who also don't know, right? And they have cross-functional ideas. So I really lucked out in that my, um, I, worked on a, I worked embedded with a lot of organizations, but generally as, um, uh, as a part of a professional services team. So we, I've, and that's not been all of my career, but I've generally had a lot of ability to design the structure of our thinking together, as well as work on building the tech. And so, because I came from that experience, it started being so obvious to me when a situation really wasn't going to get out of its own way because it was doing all the things that hold us back, as opposed to all the things that help us to innovate and and think new thoughts together. Hmm. So. For me, the hardest part about starting to really use that phrase, architect and architecture, is that everybody, and when Mike and I met, it was a hallmark of that that week, wanted to fight about what the word means. What does it mean? (laughs) Like, is it, it's, you know, it's Kubernetes. Architecture is Kubernetes. (laughs) As soon as you know enough, you can do that. And so what I what I discuss, and also at the time in which I did it, it was less than three percent women. And I'd finally I was the only mm-hmm. woman on teams for a long time, and that was finally getting better. And then I make mm-hmm. a shift to to <laughs> a part that has even fewer. Apparently, this is what I'm going to keep doing. Show me where there aren't women, and that's the job I want. Apparently, <laughs>
1: point me in that direction. I need more. I need more pain in my life. That's right.
2: I need more, you know, hear me roar. In so, um, so, it was really. It was for, at first. I did. I confess. I got very distracted by uh, the argument to define what yeah. the difference between software and systems architecture. Because I really think there is a difference. Um, yeah. What architect means. What that skill set is. And so, it's took me, uh, unfortunately, longer than I wish it did to stop having that argument because it doesn't matter. There can be all different kinds yeah. of architects depending on what a circumstance needs. And I don't have to be the Webster's dictionary of what architectural phrases mean. Like we can disagree. Um, but instead I started focusing on, you know, back to our opening of pain, started focusing on why are these transformation um, initiatives so spectacularly hmm. fail, uh, they fail so, so, so much. And it's the same software crisis we've had since the 1950s, right? It's how we think and communicate. And I didn't want to go too far. I'm um, honestly, it's so funny. I've never said this. So here we have true confessions on this <laughs> podcast. I love this. Um, I didn't want to go too far into it because I was very sensitive to the criticism that I might not be tech enough, hardcore Mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. Right. I took a lot to prove that I had technology expertise and that, um, I did as a, as a team lead. Once, um, we were talking about whether we needed what kinds of leadership we needed as teams were taking on a big new initiatives. And someone Mm. said, um, said, well, team lead, that's really team secretary. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> oh, geez. There's a well, loaded word. Yeah, yeah
1: let's <laughs> yeah. not not even administrative assistant, by the way,
2: but secretary. That's right. Mm-hmm. I right? And, and it was yeah. funny because the other guys in the room were like, what's the matter, Diana? I mean, that can be <laughs> that's just like me. Mean, like, okay. But in, in 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 fairness, it points to my um you know, that I was doing all the communication and I didn't want yeah. to do all the communication. I wanted to code, but I also didn't want to be viewed as soft or the, the sec- yeah. any of these kinds of things. Sure. And I, I've gotten over that enough and realized, you know what, that's dumb because everything we think and communicate is the only thing in production. There's nothing yes. else in production except what we thought and said. That's it. Right. So yep. it's actually a form of leadership and a, a, a skill to cultivate to focus there. So that was a very long answer to your question, <laughs> but it was a very long journey, difficult journey.
1: Well, yeah, that's I mean, that's really what we're what we're really talking about here, right, is because the journey you're taking and the journey you're taking others on bringing others to is this journey about. Relationships and complexity—not complication, but complexity—and mm. and information, and not just data. I mean, all these other things right, we can think about. You mentioned Kubernetes, which you know has become sort of the uh, one of the key buzzwords, uh, and it's a technology. It's it's a set of software. It even has even the name. It's like it's the pilot. It's we're in charge. It's the governor. It's like all these things kind of wrapped into it. Um, but there's so much more. The, the other word that's related to it, uh, Kubernetes, is cybernetics. Right. And we used the word cybernetics, you know, many decades ago, meaning a much more all encompassing kind of experience. It had a lot more people, a lot more behavior, a lot more humanity in that in that term. So um, that's kind of how I think um, maybe we get back into that sort of systems thinking or, you know, systems sort of point of view. And, and it leads me again, I'm kind of asking the sort of the same questions somewhere, somewhere along the way, you must've suddenly figured out, Oh, this is systems. This is beyond software. This is more than, than that. What, you know, when did you, was there a particular case or a particular event? Was it the economist? Was it something else when you finally started to realize there's a whole nother way of thinking about all these parts? Does that make sense, the question I'm asking? Yeah,
2: it does. And there are, yeah. three, there are, three, there are three pieces of that. But first, I want I, to say that when I first started, um, like, okay, Kubernetes, I'm going to f- figure out what this is. I'm like, it's APIs. It's mm-hmm. APIs. It's yeah. just it's APIs. That's what that's yeah. what it is. Like somehow it surprised me that I don't <laughs> I don't know what else I thought, but like it's uh, oh okay, it's not like its own separate brand of thing that we've never seen before. It's no, just yeah. you know orchestration. So um, so there's there were a few stages, and the first one had nothing to do with the tech. So um, mm. the teams that I worked with and then ended up becoming um, director of. We were um, we were brought in to solve, you know, we like we build, we do big projects, right? And we do we yeah. do things that generally aren't already done. Like we, we only, yeah. almost always just took on new problems, yeah. and that time of workaholism and enjoyment both at the same time, <laughs> um, it showed me that whether or not um, my teams and I or I or or we um, succeeded depended on things that really didn't have much to do with tech. It had mm-hmm. to do with the type of thinking, the process of delivery, uh, our whether we would be able to succeed in, in that situation, um, in the situation definitely had something to do with tech, but we would figure that stuff out. Like we'd go mm-hmm. in, we don't know, but we know how to learn um, tech. <laughs> it was all the other stuff that would either enable or disable us and so i began to look at opportunities f- for myself in my career but also for uh for the people around me based on the what i now think of as sort of the systemic properties of the people in the technology systems because they're always the same right the, the people are organized to match the mm-hmm. tech and vice versa mm-hmm. And so then I got an op- I got a, a few opportunities to do really hard system design challenges, and discovered that that in that original insight it scales. Like, mm. <laughs> like <laughs> if you think it works like that on the project level, then you get to see what it looks like at the organizational level. And mm-hmm. so um, and so that. People would make so many of the right decisions and then so many of the wrong decisions, yeah. like really just, just d- drown there. And so then when I read Danella Meadows' Thinking and Systems, and she talks mm-hmm. about uh, counterintuitiveness and Jay Forster talking about how he goes into organizations and everybody knows where to make the change, but we're pushing it in the wrong direction. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yep.
2: Like every time. And so I started to realize um, to, through my own learning that our problems in tech, they're the same problems in agriculture. And yes. and and monolithic crops. And Mark uh-huh. Bittman wrote a wonderful book, Animal Vegetable Junk last year, strictly about hmm. architecture. He's a food writer, but I quoted hmm. on my slides at tech conferences because they're the same challenges. And so this created for me a vocabulary for what I mean when I think about systems architecture and that we need, we're we're not just leveling up linearly our engineering skills so that the most senior engineer is the architect. There's this whole nother skill set that we have to um, begin to practice in order to, Um, You said I loved you said about um, the difference between data and information. And I'd even take that one step more to say what's knowledge, like what happens when the relationships start um, becoming emergent in the systems that we're designing. That's what we want. But we are so far cognitively from being able to create that. But I'd like to be, you know, I'd like that. That'd be awesome.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you just, you just mentioned, you know, in, in reference to skilling up linear, linear skilling up. And this is, I, I I found this quite interesting Um, having, having been very excited about systems thinking and wishing everyone were as excited about me or as, as I am about systems thinking. um, But I noticed you've been using the term nonlinear thinking as a way to maybe kind of get, uh, you know, make it a little bit more accessible or, or take the opportunity to really put your own stamp on what that, what this type of insight is all about. So can you kind of like, why, why use the nonlinear thinking term in sort just in place of systems thinking? How's that helped?
2: Well, um, the first is that I, I took a workshop on systems thinking from like a business side. And it was pretty far away from what I meant in terms of uh, technology architecture. And then started doing some learning about how academia tends to view it. And the challenge is that they're all very valid and matterful, but they're they sometimes even disagree. So we were having these 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 the The definitions were emerging, but they were too, they weren't uh, well established or um, integrated. So it was easy to get into the, this is what I mean, this is what I don't mean. Oh, it's like this, but it's not like that. And also, um, I I also, maybe even more so mean pattern thinking, especially Hmm. for, for us. And Edward DeBono's done some wonderful work and he calls it parallel thinking. And also, Peter Senge's um, The Fifth Discipline, which is about learning yeah. teams, that's yeah, yeah. a systems thinking book, right? I mean, that learning yeah. teams and our systems thinking teams. And so I realized that if I, if I used systems thinking, it was sort of like picking a a sect, like a state that I would <laughs> that I would live in and not the other states. And I didn't want to do that because I want it really does my I mean, I, I should have a hat that says it depends and a shirt that says it and a tattoo <laughs> that says it depends. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because everything in systems depends on the circumstances. Um, And there are there are some universal properties, but knowing what it depends on for me is the definition of architecture. Like you're figuring out what it depends on and trying to work and work towards um, where you want to go, work towards a healthy system, work towards the right kinds of leverage points while still understanding um, why I had a client who's, who said, he's like, I just went to a meeting with our internal architecture team and they said, this is what we're going to do. And I asked them, why are we going to do this? And they said, because that's what Netflix does, even though they <laughs> they they're don't do streaming video, like it's not the right. same right. context. Oh. And yeah. I get that, right? I get it. It makes sense why we've come to these conclusions. I've certainly come to them myself, but that, um that balancing the Mm -hmm. variation depending on circumstance with best practices and principles is, is an art form really. And so something that we, we need to, we need to practice, which we don't just really get for free. Mm -hmm. So,
0: um, so I, I I
2: wanted to give people tool bigger. I want to keep building the toolbox of nonlinear thinking, I guess is where I was going is instead of limiting it to a a hammer Mm -hmm. and a saw. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right I think I think we uh, anybody who's worked in the space of trying to do this kind of uh, work where you're you're trying to help people understand a system or understand a set of components or understand a set of relationships um, you realize so much of it is dependent it's dependent on who's looking at the system from where your point of view is am I on the bottom am I on the top am I on the side I'm on the outside so that it depends is like just a wonderful encapsulation of, of, of so much of that. So that, that you kind of touched on this too. So when you're saying nonlinear thinking or trying to help people figure out about actually the, the, the parallel point of view or the pattern thinking, how, how does that actually like meet up with what we call software architecture? I mean, can you kind of, think of some methodologies or some examples or some patterns this this is good in in a general sense in a conceptual sense but how do i apply that where do, where does that go this is like the worst question to ask a consultant i guess but i'm going to do it to
2: anyway. <laughs> no, so take all well, this it the... depends
1: and boil it or something i don't know what i'm saying here.
2: right this is this is the point in which someone uses the word concrete
1: can we have a
2: concrete yes concrete uh, example
1: please concrete explain your work
2: <laughs> um, so I, you know, it, this is this is such a, this is a constant one and a tricky one. And that, so first I would say that it isn't actually relevant to all of us working in the industry in that it is, um, we, we don't, Someone asked me this in, a, in an interview recently about conceptual load. Like, I feel like I already have enough mm-hmm. to do, and now mm-hmm. I have to think about all this nonlinear thinking stuff, like this system mm-hmm. stuff at the same time. And that's not actually the case because a lot of the focus is on forming relationships and partnerships and trust among people and all of that, right? So really there's nothing so much an individual is is doing, there are practices the individual is doing, I'm sorry, I should say, but when I talk about this as how does this impact a, a, a day in the life of a, of a software developer, um, it, it can be as simple as um, thinking about and maybe redesigning the way that we form relationships with other people's expertise So that we're more effective and impactful with the way we share our expertise, right? Mm -hmm. So that we're able to influence decision making in a way that has more impact and benefit for the code than maybe we have in the past, right? We tend to be siloed, tech hates product, product hates, and then there are people (laughs) in the middle, with this like détente and and that ideally we want we want to be able to share just enough concepts or mental models about the way that the software or the system works so that we can effective we can affect change in a room mm-hmm. of people who don't look at the system the same. I love what you said. I call it the prism, yeah. right? The prism of yeah. tech. If you just look at a software from the tech point of view, you're skewed the view mm-hmm. of it you need mm-hmm. those other views to write better code so yep. to some extent you can just you, you're just you can just be more proactive in terms of communication structures but if you want if you want to go further in my world you don't have a choice like it, it, there's there's going to come an end to working inside a single instance monolith i'm making the quote the quote Mm -hmm. Uh, fingers monolithic software (laughs) and you are going to be part of designing relationships and even infrastructure is software now so Mm -hmm. there's not even ops and you know well there still is ops and dev but more and more there isn't right
1: yeah yeah and continuous delivery and all these things right they kind of they're almost a reflection of struggling with this notion of relationships and change and and, and, um, and over a bigger picture, right?
2: Exactly. DevOps is really, there's a lot of things trying to solve the same problem, which yeah. is how do we design emergent relationships? What are the patterns that actually work for us? And so if you move towards event-based interactions or event-driven systems, then you, you kind of have to adopt at least some nonlinear practices um, or you're just going to be what is it the uh, distributed monolith in the cloud? Is that the yeah. is that how we're yes. calling it yeah. now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So in that sense, in software architecture, you kind of can't. In certain areas, you can't. You you can't not really. It's going to come. For, it's coming for you. It's coming for you, yeah, you like it or it. not.
0: Well, and it. I think I like the way you you talked about the prism there and the mental models. It just it does feel like a lot of it is about recognizing all these relationships, communication paths, and the more empathy, the more shared understanding is actually how you get over these things. So I'm just going to kind of 180 that, though, because there are patterns, which are great, and we do pattern thinking, and then there are anti-patterns. And I have to bring, I have to bring this up. This is our controversial section of the podcast. All right. <laughs> I'm not sure recently, you know, I feel like we might have an example out there Of that Meadows quote that you brought up about, we're or or Forrester, we're we're great at identifying the leverage points, and just, but we tend to pull them in the wrong direction. So, certain big social network has been purchased by a certain billionaire. So, Elon Musk buys Twitter, and we've all sort of been watching, observing what's what's going on. I think he he actually tweeted out. Uh, well, I, I just found this instantly interesting that uh, Elon Musk tweeted about microservices, right? So I don't know if you saw this thread. He basically was, a, I think it was like a preemptive apologizing to our Android users. Performance is really slow. That's because we're doing more than a thousand RPC calls for every pay, or for every every time you open the app, something along those lines. Um, there was a reference to GraphQL on there saying, oh, you know, GraphQL, I'm not sure if he put it in there, but other people were saying, you know, well, that's GraphQL. And then he said, uh, you know, this is because I, we have microservices, bloatware. And then I think Twitter proceeded to shut off a bunch of microservices, which ended up like knocking out two factor authentication. I think Mike, you might've been a victim.
1: That yeah. Process, I, but... Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yep. I, I'm not sure if they accounts, brought yeah.
0: them back up or whatever, but. I don't know. I mean, from from a nonlinear thinking perspective, like, what are we? What can we learn from this? What are we witnessing here?
2: Oh, this is like I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Deep
0: breath. <laughs> Take a deep breath. <laughs>
2: deep breath. Um, so because the challenge with this is there's a lot to say, and um, most of it is noise. That's one of my one of the clearest indicators. That there's a systemic problem. now, whatever, however we define the problem is that there's a tremendous amount of noise, meaning things being said and drama and interest that have nothing to do with the system itself and the challenges mm-hmm. that are being faced. Like and when and and that you're having to give a lot of attention to the cult of personality and and appeasing yep. that as opposed to actually solving problems. That's a, you know, right or wrong. You know that that situation is going to be really hard to find the leverage points, find the places where a small change is going to unlock some uh, much, much bigger and better changes because there's too much noise. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot to say here that I take a breath and don't, you know, no reason for us really to engage because it would just be opinion giving right this is what I think yep. this is what I think about but in terms of architecture um, the I, a part of me chuckles because I would love to go into one of the most complex digital social platforms that exist and just blame GraphQL for the problems <laughs> like that would just be delightful pay me a whole bunch of money I've solved your problem it's GraphQL. <laughs> Like you're not there. there You go. Like the you know. I once was asked to in a in a very big sort of transformational architecture thing to ask to make a model of what the new system should look like. Like that's what we would like. We'd like you to model the new system so we know where to go. And I said if an architect comes in the room and says yes to that fire her because no one knows who knows. Like yeah. it takes time yeah. to understand what's happening in a system. Danella Meadows calls it dancing with systems. And I, I love that phrase. Yeah. So I use that. Mm-hmm. It, it's um, it's the difference between information and wisdom. And so I have no doubt that that system could benefit from some transformation because all of them can, and because we do get in our own way, right? I'm sure there's mm-hmm. things that are blocking um, um, blocking that system from being more vibrant. and the the challenge, though, is that it 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 is it's highly unlikely that I can go in like Gallagher and smash microservices <laughs> like they were watermelon, and <laughs> I've somehow like unlocked potential in the system. And there's the other side for me too about the people, um, the, the the technologists there, their reaction to it, and um, and standing up for the value of um, knowledge, experience, and expertise. That we we we're, we're not we we're not. You can't work in one completely different yeah. type of system and then work on another one, and no much Mm. to help really it it it, there's there's a process there uh so i think that one of the things coming out of it though is that we're having um or at least we can have we do have the opportunity to really talk out loud about the value of our expertise the value of experience Mm. and also its limitations and how we how we organize those things to actually deliver, because hasn't nothing's really been delivered, but deliver <laughs> um, change and 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 transformation, and it will. it's definitely includes um, uh, listening to each other and learning from expertise, and not kumbaya, yay, everybody's right. But in architecture, is as much about observing, more about observing yeah. than it is taking and Action and I guess my last thought there is that unfortunately reality refuses to bow down to power. So <laughs> that approach just I mean, it's nice. I wish it did. I wish when my son was young I could have just said because I said so and that would have <laughs> solved all of my problems, all of but it. you know, yeah. it, it doesn't. It, so I it think doesn't. you know. It doesn't. It's not sustained. Power and control is not a sustainable project management implementation strategy. So there'll be Mm. impact from that. And then that has to get addressed as well.
1: Yeah. That's so, yeah, there's so much in there. You You could do a whole nother episode on all of this, right? Big deep breath. But I think one of the things you're touching on here that a lot of people can learn is I would, I would opine so far as to say what is happening at, uh twitter is a transformation what it's from what it's to i can't really say because i'm not there how well it will go i don't know but it's a transformation transformations happen all the time in all sorts of organizations we may be watching one publicly and have a little shot and about it but we all have to deal with these transformations as well and and that's kind of sort of another level, isn't it? Beyond just software architecture, it's actually you're transforming an existing system. I can't remember who it was that told me this. Remember, wherever you go, you're not you're not building something new. You're changing something that exists. You're you're adding materials, you're taking materials away. When you poke in this place, somewhere far away, there might be some something that goes poke as well. Right? So how do you help people figure out? From a business perspective, this—this this, um, now I'm going to use the air quote fingers—digital transformation activity. How how do you make sure that that's effective? That that what's going on is the right way to do it. How do you help businesses transform?
2: So I, this is I love this question, and also I I, I want to go back um, before I, I before I fully answer it to the from the developer's perspective. Um, One of, I think, a really important skill set, especially for people newer in the industry, is to begin to recognize situations in which they can't affect change. That's Uh really, really essential. So for me, of course, I don't know anything to our previous company. I don't know anything about the transformation, the real reasons behind it and all of that. But I do know that um, I'm seeing a lot of the kinds of signs that would lead me to not try it there. Like I'd take my energy somewhere else because, um, because it can't, I can work all day and all night, but I won't be able to create the type of conceptual change that's necessary for what it is that we're trying to do. So I, on a, on an individual level, but it's also from the organizational level as well. It's just as important to, um, understand what can't work. To see the sort of Titanic aspect that every situation is likely to have, and really discern whether this is something that can even happen, because you know, willing things in willpower. If willpower could make things happen, that would be delightful (laughs) and wonderful. Because I've got lots of extra of that, but it it doesn't, right? We have to design. We have to design systems that support transformation. So part of it for the individual and for the um the organization is recognizing and designing the types of um the type of types of systemic change that enables people to engage in systemic change. So if like so we we had mentioned um continuous delivery and DevOps and those right. kinds of things. And that's not prescriptive because boy if mm-hmm. there ever was a it depends, right? It goes <laughs> there. Oh mm-hmm. well, yeah. But to some but but you' you're not going to transform a software system unless you're delivering differently I mean it makes no mm-hmm. sense if you yeah. deliver the same way yeah. you'll deliver the same thing so yeah. that that arena is going to be part of what um, of what people do so to your to your question um, there's there's some things that I think really matter right from the beginning. And one of them is not taking a command and control approach where, you know, show me an estimation that's set in stone, like written on a tablet, and this is exactly what will happen, Um, but designing good constraints because it's not just sort of the free for, you know, it's not a free for all either, like what is built. So designing those constraints. So, So the organization needs to be willing to embrace uncertainty. We can't know at the outset exactly how we're going to do this. And if you need to, that need is going to keep you from transforming. So what's the tolerance for uncertainty? And then the second is what expertise do you already have and do you need? And how do we get that expertise working well in a room together to basically get us where we need to go? Because you know, willpower and authority aren't going to do it, right? It, it is inevitably groups of people um, who can deliver even more than we imagine can be, can happen, right? Mm. And so that when in for organizations who need digital transformation, it's in the beginning, um, they don't, nec- they haven't necessarily identified why they need it, and what it will look like. When they have it, and how to create cross-functional, a cross-functional uh, view of that change that enables people to succeed at it through through synchronization and synthesis, as opposed to through uh, a lot of militaristic management. Mm-hmm. And that that's a big that's a big change for a lot mm. of organizations, especially if that original way of relating gave them a lot of software. Right. It's not like yeah. that came from nowhere. It wasn't useful.
0: Mm. Right. That's yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It's, and it's what you're pointing out there. It's in a lot of organizations. That's the hardest thing to, that's the hardest change to make is to accept the uncertainty, especially, mm-hmm. you know, in, in highly bureaucratic organizations where leadership is used to, being assured and told things are going to go their way, right?
2: And what's interesting is often the organizations aren't even starting the digital transformation until the writing is on the wall. Like, <laughs> yeah. there is they, there's nowhere else to go. It has to happen. And yeah. still, it can be really hard, to your point, to come to that acceptance that um, they're embracing uncertainty is necessary because what's the alternative?
0: Mm-hmm. yeah so you know we're we're obviously mike and i are just loving this conversation and i think that the the listeners who are involved in anything related to api programs whether they're launching new apis and product teams or helping to implement an api strategy across the organization or getting into the business of apis there's lots of things to take away here but i but it is APIs unplugged, so I want to explicitly <laughs> explicitly call it out, right? Um, what you, you you mentioned before about Kubernetes, it's just a bunch of APIs. Obviously, in your work in the web space, you've been coming across APIs, and APIs are these just funny little tools. I mean, they're 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 certainly not the end; they're just a means. But what's your take on system thinking and APIs? Like, um, how does people work in the api space how can nonlinear thinking help help them out and and you know how why is it that there just seems to be such a, an affinity between using apis as tools and you know being successful in some of these nonlinear complex challenges
2: yeah so I, um i love this question and um because it to to the point of sort of how is this a concrete thing for people in their in, in in daily life so for, for me um, I really didn't have to think very m- i had to think about data structure but specifically in a mysql framework and mm-hmm. i had i never had to think about choreography because the software dictated what the events were right like on this event I could hook in and do things and I had information through a query to everything anytime in the code That I wanted to, Mm -hmm. so a very happy home. It was my own little farmland (laughs) in which I grew everything. I pieces of software. I grew everything. As soon as you take the tiniest little step away, so in my world, it 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 mostly. I mean, we were even using like cron tasks for things, so we really weren't rethinking choreography at all or timing of things. Mm -hmm. But as soon as we started to decouple a front end from a back end, so that we could you know, uh, control have an application that controls user interaction across multiple devices and multiple contexts, and it just mm-hmm. makes sense to do so. And then you have a backend where you had the code and the queries. Now you have a relationship between those two things. And as soon as you have a relationship between those two things unless you're going to, and people have said this, well, we'll just have the two databases doc- talk directly to each other <laughs> over yeah. my dead body. <laughs> 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 no, 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 no. we and, and not to say there aren't times in which that's the case, but I'm, I'm partially joking, <laughs> but mostly not joking. Um, you're, you start to have to design the conversation, right? How do you mm. design the conversation? And so I think that, as soon as you're designing the interface for conversation and the rules and the structure of, of what will happen, you're, you're, you've gone into the realm of systems thinking, right? Cause you're thinking about mm-hmm. the, and this and mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. and so the more, um, the more, and this is why when I joke about Kubernetes being APIs, but fundamentally it is the design of an orchestration of yes. relationships based on timing that is asynchronous, right? That has yep. different rules than software does. So I think for 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 me in my world especially, soon as. Um, APIs, event-based interactions, microservices, um, continuous deployment, all these things came into play, we have to develop relationship design skills, and that's really um, a big step into thinking about the system as a, as a whole and the patterns that govern not just the interaction between part A and part B, but the way the whole system interacts.
1: Yeah, that uh, th- again, you touch on so many things. I tell people often, if you're building a, a sort of a rich ecosystem of APIs, you're really building uh, you're, you're building systems that allow you to talk about a topic. <laughs> if you're mm-hmm. building an accounting system of APIs, what you're really doing is building a way to talk about accounting, <laughs> and you don't necessarily you can use the same language to produce. A balance sheet, the same language to produce a, a you know an outstanding billables report, the same language to do payroll. You're creating the grammar and the syntax and the uh, to use information theory, right? Your, your ontology taxonomy and choreography to allow people to carry on conversations. And I don't really always know what conversations they'll engage in, but they can use this language to do it, right? That's kind of mm-hmm. where you start to think you're creating systems right
2: yeah i i not only do i totally and completely love that like just like writing it down i really love that and then (laughs) then now i have a now i'm gonna have a slide that quotes it for sure um but also the book the book um i i was really struggling with how to how to start and i ended up just like free writing and the process led me to see hey you know what being a writer and being Mm. a systems architect are not two different i quit Mm. writing Mm. to go learn tech and now here i am (laughs) like it is all about the construction of syntax and language and how Uh, we're communicating or just using different tools and have uh, different but code at least tells me if i'm right or does it work or if it doesn't work that part i like a lot more than words but it's yeah, it is. It's your structuring. And in fact, it, that's kind of I'm, I'm all, sorry, I'm all excited because I'm like, yes, yes, all this. Yes. And it's like this has been my argument um, all, uh, for, you know, for the last almost decade is that if you can well structure the conversation between people involved in designing the system, and that's a cross-functional conversation, then that's what the system will look like. And if you can't do that, that's also what the system will look
1: like. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. So you talk about being excited. I'm excited as well. It's been a fantastic conversation. Where's the best place, if listeners want to continue to follow this up, where where can they start learning about this kind of systems, nonlinear, parallel, pattern kind of thinking? Where, where do they go next, and, and where does the Mentex group fit into that? How can they maybe get better engaged with you as well?
2: So um, so one of the things I would encourage is, is um, reading books like Thinking and Systems, or even you know, oh, was... The Fifth Discipline or mm. um, Animal, Vegetable, Junk that aren't tech systems. Because we can get lost in arguing about no that's Mm -hmm. not that's not yes so getting a little bit out of tech is a great place to to start Hmm. um, Mm -hmm. developing a vocabulary Um, and the I I I'm recently started publishing a newsletter um which is every week it's something to read it's some some theme like it was microservices last theme but it's it's just a collection of here's a book you can read here's a podcast you can listen to here's a course you can take like just to give people a taste every week um of resources that might appeal to them but that also developed this type of thinking so that people can dive in where they're interested, like where, you know, where, what, what kind of attracts their attention. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I also do workshops. So I just did one um, at the um, software architecture gathering, and Mm -hmm. I will definitely be doing some in 2023. So either watching my website, but of course, subscribing to the newsletter would also be a way um, and following at the moment, because now we've come full circle um, on Twitter There's a lot of us that have met and integrated there. And so, um, and so we try and at the moment anyway, that's still really a a hub of information and um, a place to uh, see more, more talks and conferences and things that are coming up workshops. Um, I'm doing one in next year on writing, specifically on writing Mm. as thinking, which, um, which I'm looking forward to. So Oh, that sounds Tinka. great. Is that good? Yeah. great. And then also, yeah. of course, if you're doing a transformation and you would like some support <laughs> right. for that, I am always available in that way there to uh, to help architecturally.
0: Fantastic. So we'll we'll in, we'll include the links. Um, I have subscribed to the newsletter. It's it's great, and uh, I'll include that. And hopefully, listeners will reach out. But selfishly. Hopefully not too many because I don't want them to distract you from writing the book, which I'm dying (laughs) to read. Anyway, uh, Diana, it's been wonderful having you on here. Um, uh, Just a huge thanks from both Mike and myself. Thanks a lot. Yep.
2: It's been great. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Great. And, uh, and thank you, Mike, as always. You bet. And uh, to, to both of you, both of you Americans. Happy Thanksgiving coming up. I've, I've had mine up here in Canada. Uh, but yes, and, and uh, you know, hopefully the listeners got as much out of this as we did. It's been wonderful having Diana on. And for all of you out there, we look forward to having you back for the next episode of APIs Unplugged. Bye for now.